welcome to The Dream, The Date, and The Broken Bra. I am your host, Stephanie Brownyard. I have an insatiable desire for adventure and knowledge, and with this, I have been on a quest to discover what the purpose of life is and what it all means. In this podcast, we will embark on a journey, the journey of life. With my guest, we will share in stories and celebrate all that life has to offer from the challenging times to the victories of one's dreams, love, and life experiences. Through authentic conversation and thought-provoking dialogue, it is my hope you will unravel and uncover the magic that makes your life so extraordinary. We all come from different walks of life with different beliefs, but we all have similar desires and needs. Our paths are all so different, but yet we are all so connected. Let's come together to hear each other and to learn from one another and see the beauty in every experience, no matter how difficult or challenging it may be. In the process, we can all heal a little, have some laughs, and perhaps shed a few tears with a whole lot of inspiration. Join me on this exploration to uncover your magic. Are you ready? Hello, friends, and welcome back. I'm excited we made it to episode three, and I am super pumped and excited to introduce my very first guest. She's not only my coach and my mentor, but I am honored to call her my friend. I love to introduce Lola Pickett. Since 2011, Lola has been guiding healers, coaches, and spiritual entrepreneurs to break through their upper limits and build a burnout-free, stable, and soulful business that they love. Through her courses and coaching programs, she helps her clients rewire their brains, bodies, and behaviors so that they feel safe to succeed and can finally see results from their marketing and sales efforts. When she's not facilitating transformational classes, retreats, or coaching sessions, you'll find her out adventures or designing her next home renovation with her soulmate husband, her two kiddos, and her new little kitty. She resides in the mountains north of San Diego, California. I'm honored and excited to introduce you, Lola Pickett. Hi, love. Hi. I'm so excited. Thank you so much for coming on. I, like, we were just discussing before we came on that I haven't seen Lola in probably two years, but I feel like it's like, oh, I just saw you yesterday. Yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> I mean, it's, been, it's been a while and then so much has happened. And so it's like a lifetime and yet here we are and it's easy and it's fun. I know, I know. So I met Lola about, I think I was actually looking back, I think it was actually two and a half years ago um, at a retreat. I was introduced to Lola and her husband to do some work with them. And I was instantly enamored by Lola because she, and Tigre, (laughs) but Lola is not only beautiful on the inside and out, but she is fierce AF, is that what they say? Fierce as AF and so bold. And I just was like, I want me some of that. And, And she had a business and kids and a husband, and I just saw you balancing it all so well. And I just wanted more of that. And we started working together and I took your empathology class, which I loved and was kind of the start for me on a whole new 
quest of learning myself in a such a loving and nurturing way because I think the personal development work that I had done before was very like traumatic and in my face. So I would love to talk about that because empathology as a whole is kind of wrapped around being an empath. Do you want to describe or kind of share what like an empath is? Yes. Okay. (laughs) And it's not what you're going to find if you Google it either, because what I have found after working with people for so many years is that there are so many people running around having an empath experience of life, but not realizing that that's what's going on. And that's part of the reason why they might be bumping up against like the same frustrating patterns over and over again, toxic relationships, all kinds of things like that. So how I define an empath is someone for whom it's easier to connect with other people than it's than it is to connect with themselves. Like that's at its simplest. It's you if you are instantly able to like feel somebody and connect mm-hmm. with them, hear them out, kind of see through the lines, read between what it is that they're saying and get a sense for someone. But at the same time, you are not so familiar to yourself and it can feel like you are a bit mm-hmm. of a stranger. And a lot of the people who come into my world are like, you know, I feel like I know everyone and nobody knows me. And I ask them, well, how well do you know you? And they're like, well, snap. Yeah, completely. Like it's been a self-discovery for me along that lines. And it's like, I didn't know who I was. But what I love too about empathology was like something that I would be so frustrated about, like these qualities that I had of being like, I can't get this done. I would compare myself to other people of like, I got to do this, 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 this. And then I couldn't do it. And I would just get so frustrated with myself and that put myself down. But really this gave me like a container to see that it was a superpower. And I loved how you made it like a superpower, right? Because sometimes you don't really know how to distinguish. Like I found like the boundaries because that was something like boundaries is such a triggering word for me. Mm-hmm. You know, it can be. Yeah. It's so mysterious too. It's like, what does that even mean to set boundaries? Does it just mean that you're a hard ass and you say no to everything? Mm-hmm. Or does it mean something else? And to me, boundaries are ultimately about self-respect and Again, if you're disconnected from who you are, then what does it mean to be authentic? What does it mean to be in integrity? What does it mean to have self-respect? You have to turn back around that attention that's so easy for you to give to everybody else and say, well, like, what do I want? What's important to me? What feels good? And that's confronting too, right? <laughs> totally. And especially when you don't know who you are or or that, it's, do you have any advice to that or anything to add to that? For sure. First of all, it's to have a lot of compassion with yourself. We live in a society that tells you it's selfish to focus on yourself Mm. at the same time as it's like self-care Saturday. And so there's all these (laughs) conflicting messages about how we should be in relationship with ourselves. And the people who I work with, people like you, are very much invested in not being narcissistic, not being egotistical, not being self-centered. And so to suggest that, well, where you really need to put your attention is on yourself, most people are like, ugh. I mean, not only do I not know who that is, and that feels impossible and really hard, 
but isn't that going to make me a jerk? Isn't that going to make me like start to shut off from the world? And that's the last thing that I want to do. Like, doesn't this world need more people to connect with each other? And to that, I would say yes, absolutely. Except that if we're all connecting as empty, dissociated bodies, then there is no real connection happening anyway. And so we really need to inhabit our skin. We need to know who we are. We need to have intimacy start with ourselves. And then we can have all those connections that we want and have them feel really real. But it is confronting and you do have to be willing to cultivate a little bit of what I call healthy narcissism, which is to say, I matter and I'm important and I have needs too. Can you talk about too, so like you talk about like the empath and these are like personality traits. So then there's like, okay, well, because there's the empath and then I always hear the the opposite side is the narcissist. And then are there any others in between? Yeah. How I look at it is that there's actually a spectrum. And so if you would imagine like a straight line and on one end of the line is a a full-blown narcissist, like Mm -hmm. all the way into the disordered, you know, psychological disorder category. Mm -hmm. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have the full-blown empath who's completely dissociated Mm -hmm. and is disconnected from themselves. Mm -hmm. Both of those extremes are toxic. Right. And so what we're looking at is not necessarily personalities. And I think that even the term like narcissistic personality disorder, which is what psychiatrists will label that as, it implies it's a personality choice, whereas really it's a trauma pattern on both ends of the spectrum. So we're not looking at personalities. We're looking at nervous system responses and extreme nervous system responses. And so what my work endeavors to cultivate, and this is important for every human, whether they feel like they're an empath or not, is to be in that healthy kind of mid-range on the spectrum so that you have a healthy level of self-interest, self-caring, self-respect, and also an ability to connect with others in a meaningful way without either one getting in the way of the other. So what we have to do to create that possibility is to look at the nervous system Not at personality traits, but to look at like what's going on biologically, what's going on physiologically, how is that showing up in behaviors, how is that showing up in thoughts? Because once you start to address the state of the nervous system, like all of the thinking patterns start to change, all of the habits start to change. So like I'm a big proponent of let's not do habit work, let's not do mindset work, because if you don't do either of those things without a healthy nervous system they're not sustainable. And you're just going to feel like I'm broken. I can't do what everybody else is doing, blah, blah, blah. Right. So you look at uplifting the nervous system before you change or you work on the patterns and the habits. And that's what the whole empathology course is all about. I thought it was really phenomenal. And I know you've redone it since. And I, I you've redone it since when I initially took it. And then I know I've started the second edition of it too. But I, now, and then I was like looking back recently that I'm like, oh, I have to go through this all again because it's such valuable stuff. And I noticed you have put, or maybe it was in there first, but like the nervous system resets and stuff like that, which I see more and more like the valgus nerve like exercises. But can you speak to how important resetting your nervous? Because even like, I think even when I was recording my first episode, we were chatting. You're like, you should go do the exercise. <laughs> and and it was, it was like instantly like calming. So like the importance, 
how someone can notice when, because I didn't know I was going and attack that thing. You're like, I think you're spiraling. And I'm like, yeah, I think you're right. But I just was like, this is what I'm like, blah, 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 I gotta go. Like, and so I, you know, like just noticing when you're in that and then like some tools that people can do. Yeah. So that is absolutely step number one is to figure out what your nervous system kind of default settings are for when you're going into protection mode. And it looks a little different for everyone, but there are some pretty consistent patterns. One of them is procrastination. So every time you sit Mm. down to do that important thing or that challenging thing, Mm -hmm. you find yourself doing what? Like flicking through 17 browser tabs to see like, did my pants that I was looking for ever (laughs) shift? Like, oh, I think I got a message on Facebook. I should respond to that. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, like just bopping around all these things that you're making important, but you know that they're not as important as the thing you set out to do. Yes. And that's not a personality flaw. I think a lot of people think like, well, I'm just a procrastinator. Like I'm just somebody who has to have that kind of pressure in order to like hit my deadline or whatever. And what's happened is that over time, your nervous system has cultivated a stress response where you need that kind of stress in order to perform. And it's a pattern that can be changed. Oh, wow. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's just like clicking to me too. I could see myself doing that. <laughs> and procrastination is funny because we often don't really even notice that we're doing it until mm-hmm. we're like five, ten minutes in and we're mm-hmm. like, wait, what was I going to do? Like, I was not doing this. Why am I over here? Why am I in front of my fridge looking for a snack right now? Like, I'm not even hungry. And we do this to stay safe because what procrastination is showing you when that's happening is not only that you're scared of whatever it is that you're doing, that it's an intimidating task or like you're not exactly clear on what it is you need to be doing, so you feel overwhelmed, But it's also an indication that you're afraid of what could happen if you succeed at that task. Yeah, I I remember I was actually re-listening to some of the work recently too. And that like kind of hit me. So it's not like I can't do it, I can't do it. But we actually stop ourselves from succeeding. And that that is so brilliant. And I don't actually know how to even break through that. Like, do you have any pointers on how to break through? Yeah. Exactly what I guided you to to try, which is Mm -hmm. to start to, first of all, pattern awareness is everything. So unless you recognize that this is happening, you can't change it. Um, It's very, very hard to just like subliminally hypnosis yourself into a new level of existence, like without having the internal architecture (laughs) to support it. I wish that was true. Um, I just haven't seen it play out. You know, there's a lot of things that sound good, but they don't really work that well unless you have a regulated nervous system. Right. Fine. Right. So is that like kind of a trick too, is to constantly do like these exercises or things to keep your nervous system regulated? Yeah. I mean, it's it's not a matter of doing things constantly. It's being able to catch yourself in your tricks mm-hmm. sooner and sooner mm-hmm. and learn. I mean, there's so many different ways you can approach supporting the nervous system. Mm-hmm. Doing the vagus nerve reset, reset, which I taught you through pathology is one of them. And it is really effective. It is really fast. And I can walk people through how to do it because it's super simple and I can just like tell you the steps. Yeah. So if you're listening and you can't see this, that's uh, 
um, really easy to follow. And that's one of the things you can do as a pattern interrupt is just to say, oh, I'm procrastinating. And instead of being like, I am such an idiot. Why do I keep doing this? I just can't get it together. And I obviously blow like spiral, spirals. Spiral, yeah. Right. Like, yeah. I'm going to get you anywhere good or different. And then you get to like the time where you're deadline and you still haven't done it. And it's like, what was I thinking? You know, I, yeah. And then it's like and, a mad and then dash you throw it together. Yeah. And then you're not happy with the results or you lose a bunch of sleep. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're happy with it, but at what cost? And, right. You know, all of those things. And so, oh, so funny. interrupting the pattern is mm-hmm. so important catching yourself, being kind to yourself when you catch yourself and being respectful. I mean, that's a huge part of the healing is just not shaming yourself because this is brain wiring. It's not, again, like your fault. Maybe it's your responsibility to change it, but it's not your fault. And then you want to follow through on the interrupt. And one of the ways we can follow through on the interrupt is doing the vagus nerve reset, which I'll walk everybody through in a minute. Okay. Another way is to change the end point of the behavior. So- What I mean by that is let's say one of your defaults when you go into protection mode is you um, start picking at your skin, right? Mm -hmm. There's like names for these things that we do. So you start picking at your skin. So you notice that you're picking at your skin and you're like, "Ah, I don't want to do this anymore. Okay, stop. And instead of just trying to like cut it off completely, what you do is as you're reaching for your skin, instead of picking at it, you just gently hold it. Mm-hmm. Right? Or you touch it softly, or you give yourself a squeeze instead of whatever other behavior you're doing. Right. And so it's at that like the last possible part of the behavior before it becomes problematic versus stopping it altogether. If you go to the fridge to reach for a snack, you go to the fridge, you catch yourself, your hand is in the like snack drawer. Okay, so you're right there. You're like, all right. I'm just going to reach one inch to my left and I'm just going to like put my hand there for a second and I'm just going to check in with myself. Like, am I actually hungry? Cool. I'm hungry. All right. Am I going to eat this thing? Like you just want to slow it down, right? Right. Because we're on autopilot so much that if you start paying attention, first of all, even your bad habits can actually become satisfying. So if you're an ice cream eater, when you're numbing your feelings, yeah. bringing presents to that. And yeah. This ice cream is delicious. I'm going to have a spoon <laughs> and I'm going to feel the coldness on my tongue and I'm going to let it like melt in my mouth instead of just like a pint lighter. Right. Like, <laughs> pint like, lighter, like, like what did I do? Black out because you're in a complete mm-hmm. freeze. Mm-hmm. So like the more presence you can bring, the more kindness you can bring to that interruption the better you get at making more uh, empowered decisions versus being on autopilot. Right. Because you're starting to get good at like knowing yourself, right? Yeah. Instead of just being like, whoa, I don't know what's going on. Yeah. Who's in there? <laughs> yeah. I even noticed in like doing this podcast, obviously it was it's new and the first episode took me all day to record. I'm like, oh, I feel great. I'm going to do it. But it's like, I'm going to do this first. So then, you know, and then I'm going to do this. And then I, it's like, yeah, everything else feels so important. And then, then it's like, oh my gosh, I just took the whole day, you know? So it's, I definitely see, and I can see myself doing the unimportant things being so enormous. I know another big one, and I know this is switching topics. Oh, I I know we were going to do the reset too, but should we maybe do that? Should we do that now or after? Because I, I want to talk about 
people pleasing too, because I know that's that's a big one. I know you've talked about that. I know that was kind of especially like something for me not knowing myself because I kind of was like this chameleon of trying to be everything to everyone and not even knowing who myself was. So I don't know, would that be better to go after talking about this or? Let's talk about that because okay. it's it's another <clears throat> nervous system pattern. Mm-hmm. And again, people look at that and they go, oh, this is my personality or this is something I inherited or whatever our stories are about it. But it's a pattern that, that uh, is originates and controlled by the vagus nerve, which is our like social nervous system. And it, mm-hmm. it basically dictates how we feel safe in our social relationships. And so when our vagus nerve is dysregulated and we start to feel like a threat to our social safety, one of the ways that we'll protect ourselves is to create these patterns of behavior like people-pleasing, placating, fitting in. We start to lose ourselves in the name of creating social harmony. Mm. And we don't really know that we're doing it. I mean, for like many, many decades, most of us are going around just kind of like, oh, I'm just like an easy person to get along with, you know, like I'm chill. I'm that person that like just doesn't really, just doesn't really matter that much. It's cool. But like, is it? <laughs> is yeah. it really cool? And you might, you might not know the answer to that. I was like that. Yeah. And like my version of people pleasing wasn't, saying what I thought people wanted to hear, it was that I wouldn't let myself care and stand up for something if it was against what the crowd was going for. It was like too uncomfortable for me. And I didn't even know that I maybe felt differently from the crowd that I was in. It took a lot of work to get to know myself and to be able to hold that discomfort. Because let me tell you, as a recovering people pleaser, I don't know that it ever gets comfortable mm-hmm. to be like, actually, that's not okay. With you. You know? <laughs> like, that's still like very confronting, right? It's yeah. very confronting for me too. Yeah. And I like doing this work all the time. Yeah. I think just even saying no is hard, right? Just in general. Yeah. It's really hard. <clears throat> it's really uncomfortable. And you're immediately like thinking about well, what are they going to think? And oh my gosh, but like, is that, you know, I don't know. We just, again, we spiral and we forget that you're a somebody too. And this is a lesson that I learned really loudly when my daughter was born because she was a co-sleeper, like nobody's business. And I was like, when are you going to get in your own bed? Like I'm ready for my own space. Mama needs sleep. Uh Yeah. And she wouldn't, she wouldn't sleep anywhere else. And I was I was exhausted because Mm -hmm. she was constantly like night feeding and crawling all over the place. And it was just like a mess. She was thrilled. I was like, I am dying. Right. (laughs) And it was starting to get like detrimental because I just wasn't getting enough sleep. And my husband and I talked about how do we like start to, you know, get her into her own space and help her feel empowered to sleep on her own and all the things. And there's so many like opinions about this stuff. Yeah. But we ultimately just had to figure out what was best for our family. And so we moved when she was about 10 months old. And we were like, this is a good time because it's like a brand new environment, new patterns mm-hmm. everywhere. <laughs> Let's just like hit hit it while it's good. Right. Mm-hmm. So we were like, you're going to sleep in your own room. Like you're going to start sleeping in your own room the first night we move into this house. And so she's like, not having it, super upset, <laughs> crying, crying, crying. And we're going in, like, soothing her and then walking away and, like, all the things. And 
my husband, I remembered, because I'm, I'm like distraught. I hated this process so much. And yet I hated how depleted I was too. Yeah. So I remember my husband looking at me and he was like, you know, she's crying out loud, but you are crying too. It's just right. like you can hear Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I was like, oh, oh my gosh, that's so true. Yeah. Said, you have to remember that your needs matter too. Oh. And that was a real turning point. Yeah. Yeah. That would like hit. Yeah. Cause it's all, yeah. It's like, wow. It got me. And it's, it's like, even if this child is only 10 months old, like what we're always sending messages Mm -hmm. and I want the message to be that her needs matter as an individual and also so do the people she loves. Right. And so it was a really powerful experience. And of course, like she got through it the next night she cried for like 10 minutes and then went to sleep. And the night after that, she was like, peace out, mom, yeah. I'm good. You know? so I Independent like, oh woman. <laughs> right? like, I've been avoiding this for how right. long? And it was like, you know, literally rip the bandaid off experience. Right. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. Maybe the change, like you say, like new patterns. I mean, not everyone's probably going to get up and move houses, but, you know, maybe trying to find <laughs> some other way to just change the habit. Right. And cause I know too, like if we're talking about nervous systems, like maybe her little nervous system too was, you know, like on, on extreme there too. So, so interesting. Yeah. I know people pleasing has been um, a journey for myself as well. And cause I think for me, I had people always telling me how I feel and I feel this no, you don't. I'm like, I feel this way. And I'm a very feeling type person. And they're like, you don't feel that way. And I'm like, I don't, you know, and then you start believing that I don't, you start questioning it. So then I just really did not know how to be myself. And it was, it's been really interesting in discovering what I need and who I am. I think a lot of times too, I'm always like searching for Validation. Validation. Thank you. Outside myself, you know. Let me just check in with you to see how I am. Mm -hmm. And that's a a really important one to begin rewiring. Mm -hmm. It's hard to do that because there is a truth that we are also like mirrors for each other. Literally, we have mirror neurons that are developed so that we can like relate to other humans. So there's like a fine line of how do I relate to you? kind of like look to you, read your energy, like bounce off of it without like internalizing it as. (laughs) It is. Yeah, totally. Especially being in a, as an empath, we're taking in all that stimulus and how do you process that? So, and that's what your work is really all about. And I know you've actually rebranded is that too, because I love your new branding, like, like going into fierceness, like that is fucking badass. Like you're, I love your branding and you guys always have phenomenal branding and just your, the stuff that you put out there. And I think you and Tigre do it. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And I love to talk about, I mean, I know, I don't know how much more time you have, but we, I'd love to talk about too, cause I know you had a job where you just were not really into it. Actually, like, I don't know too, like, I know you had a job and I know this could conversation could go on forever. But I know you had like a job and a marriage and then you left your job and your marriage, but was that all at the same time or was it 
like it was a sequential set of events. So yeah, what happened and I think what happens for so many people is like this domino effect where you start to change one area of your life and you start to see like, oh, I have like I have power. I have ability. I can like trust myself. Oh crap. Now I can't right. I know that. <clears throat> now right. I yeah. My life for <laughs> review. That definitely happened to me. So it started with my job and I had this corporate job. I was a failure of a realtor. I tried it for a year thinking I watch HGTV and I love houses <laughs> and I could talk about houses all day long. So I would be the perfect realtor. Well, yeah. <laughs> I made that decision in 2007, which if you were in California in 2007, the real estate market Wait. took the mm. biggest nosedive it had ever seen. Mm-hmm. And so I like timed that completely wrong. Not to blame <laughs> that because there were still many people who were doing fine, but right. I just couldn't. But you're getting started. Thing. Yeah. I was getting, getting started. started and I'm like not <clears throat> cold collar type anyway. So I just don't think it was the right path mm-hmm. for me, but I, I failed at it miserably. I tried for a year. And so after that, I was like, I just got to get a job. I just got to mm-hmm. get a job. I have to contribute. I mean, I'm in a dual income household. There's not really the option of me not having a job. I'm actually the breadwinner. And we've been like praying for a year for me to earn some bread. So <laughs> <laughs> I basically like took the first job that I got. And that first job that I got sounded a lot better than it was. And what it ended up being was this company in the beauty industry that that had a different set of values completely from my values. Mm-hmm. And so I really had to, every day I went to work, kind of like put on a persona, pretend that this stuff mattered to me. And I was in their marketing department. So not only was I having to do that to just walk in the door, but I was having to like sell the product and mm. come up with messaging about the product. And it was like all based on inadequacy. And I'm like, this isn't, it's not me. Yeah. And there's only so long you can do that before it starts to literally eat away at your body and cause depression. And there were all kinds of indicators that things were really off in my life at that point. Mm-hmm. And then I got pregnant. Mm-hmm. So I felt like I was really stuck. It was like, I have to keep providing for our family. I need the stability of this job, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. And so I stuck it out. And after I had my son, they let me work from home, which I thought was a big blessing. It was a lot rarer then than it is now. And so I was working from home one day and I saw this Facebook post and like my 10-month-old was crawling under my chair. I was trying not to run over his chubby little fingers while I was like social scrolling to avoid my work. Hello, procrastination. And this Facebook post said, all parents are liars in like these big, bold letters. And underneath it, it said, because they'll tell their kids that their dreams can come true while clocking in every day at jobs they hate till they die. And I was like, wow. I mean, it was like, it's another moment, right? Like in your face. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And it was just one of those orchestrated events where like I landed on the perfect thing that I needed to see. And I remember looking down at my child and thinking, I can't do that to him. Mm -hmm. Like, I cannot do that to him. And I don't know what that means, but I got to figure this out. Mm -hmm. So, like, that day I started a blog. (laughs) And I started a blog about what it means to be happy. Like, is it even possible? Is it even the right target? Is it um, something that we're sold and then, like, bait and switched? Or is it something that we really can create for ourselves? And if we can, then how is it possible? Because I have every single box checked in my life and I'm miserable. 
And so I started blogging about this and I started to get a following just because I was writing, I guess, in an interesting way. And there weren't 50 million blogs out like there are Mm -hmm. now. And so people were like, yeah, what is, like, how do we get happy? And what kinds of questions do we want to ask? And then I signed up for a program to see if I could turn my blog into a business because I had no idea what I was doing. And so I started this blog, learned how to turn it into some sort of a business, which isn't actually what happened. What happened was that my graphic design skills got noticed. And Mm. so I started getting hired as a freelance graphic designer Mm -hmm. and word got out with my community that I had developed. And so it was like instant success. I mean, it was crazy. I went from my corporate job making $15.63 an hour to making like $150 an hour. Awesome. And mm-hmm. and more. And yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, I can do this. And so like there's all these gifts online that you can search for. I quit. Uh-huh. Where it's like, I quit. And I totally had that moment with my <laughs> boss. And he was like, I'll see you in three weeks. <laughs> oh, he thought you were going to be back? <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> he's like, good luck out there, little lady. I'll see you in three weeks. He was from Dallas. I love it. And and I was like, you will never see me again. Peace out. Peace out. And it was. It was a peace out moment. I never had to go back. And that just started a whole chain of events. Because once I saw I could take the financial freedom into my own hands, it was like, well, what else is not aligned? What else am I living as a message Mm. to my child that isn't the way that I want to be? And first marriage very quickly disintegrated after that kind of question. And it led to all kinds of incredible things in my life. So it wasn't easy, but it definitely created the opportunity for me to see who I was wanting to be and whether the dreams that I had made through were even mine to begin with. Wow, that's phenomenal. I love that story. I know I could probably keep hearing that over and over because it's so inspiring. And I love hearing how you and Tigre got together and you know, hopefully, Four, 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 by the way, our spiritual guides are with us. But, um, <laughs> but I, oh, yeah, no, I, yeah, do you wear, do you wear, you wear these? Okay. <laughs> At times, it depends on which ones are charged. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I know I'd love to have you back on, on, and maybe have you and Tigre on because I love your love story and how you guys got together. But yeah, I find that really inspiring because it sounds like too that your kids have been your inspiration and how you can be an example for them. And then that's kind of how you kind of showed up. So I love that because I don't have kids, but I just, I think that's really awesome to see like, how do I want them to see me? And then you kind of showed up and you saw the imbalances and how do you put it back into integrity, would you say? Or is that kind of how it went down? I don't believe in lip service, you know, like any way, shape or form, which is why that job couldn't ever have been like the end of the road for me. But, and my first marriage either really, it was all like, it was all what was expected and what made sense according to how things are supposed to go. Like you're supposed to you know, get a job in marketing if you're a yeah. designer and you're supposed to marry your college sweetheart. You're supposed to get a house by the beach with a white picket fence and a golden retriever. Eh. Yeah. I had all those things. Yeah. And- it's funny because when I met you, that was kind of where I was at in my life was like the things like, well, I did all this stuff and this, I don't 
feel good. Like I checked, I went to college, I went, I got married. And I mean, I love my husband, but like I did all this stuff and it's like, but I don't feel any better. And it was like kind of all the things that you're told to do was kind of like unwinding for me. And now it's like a creation really. That's right. Yeah. (laughs) And that's like what we have forgotten in the 10,000 years that we've been in civilized society is that we have a lot of creative power as a, an apex predator, as a, as a really potent animal. And we've lost that connection with what it means to be a human. Mm-hmm. And what mm-hmm. it means to be a human <laughs> is like not living as a robot, not shutting yourself off from nature, which doesn't mean like we all have to go live in a hut in the woods. That's not really, I think, the opportunity or even possible. But like, there's nature everywhere. I mean, I'm looking, I have LED lights in front of me. I have this amazing microphone, these headphones, my iPhone, my computer. There's nature in those things. And like, we forget that we are only as disconnected as we're disconnected from our own humanity. And that's why this work matters to me so much. Right. Because here we are all operating as these like empty shells in our Teslas and whatever. And where we really could be is like animals learning how to to create a different way of living together and right. getting along and supporting each other. And I love that because I really get that from you. And when I, like in the beginning, I said you're bold and like fierce. And that's like, it's like another thing. It's like, you're so unapologetic in that and not in a bad, like in such a loving and nurturing way because you just are so, such have a stand for people and just are so committed to people to kind of like break through. And I just, I love you to death. Like, thank you so much. This was awesome. I know too, we talked about the nervous system exercise. So would you, should we like end on that? For wherever you are, when you're listening to this, if you're driving a car, <laughs> like bookmark this part of the episode and come back when you can not be driving a car, but you can be seated or standing. And so I invite you, if you're seated, to gently clasp your hands together in front of you, almost like you're stretching and like going to crack your knuckles, right? Like do that. And then just put your hands behind your head and cradle your head right at the occipital lobe, right where your like the, the base of your head kind of pops off of your neck and just cradle it there gently. And you do this so that you open the heart center and so that you create a solid channel of movement in your spinal fluid. So that's why that's important. And it mimics what you would get if you were laying down. So if you're laying down and doing this, you will do the same thing. You'll put your hands behind your occipital lobe of your head, laying flat on the ground with your elbows as wide as you can, comfortably keep them. And from here, you're going to just move your eyeballs, like the pupils in your eyes, and you're going to shift your gaze all the way to the left as far as you can comfortably. And you don't have to like strain or try hard at this. Don't be an overachiever. <laughs> Just look over to the left and hold that gaze until you notice that your system starts to downregulate. And what that looks like is a little shudder or a sigh or an exhale or like a drop in your shoulders. Just kind of like a little sense of like letting down. It could take a little while. It can take some practice because you're like, wait, what am I looking for? Am I I doing this right? (laughs) So you just do that. And it can take like 10 seconds, 30 seconds, however long is right. And then once you have that happen, it can be very subtle. 
you're just going to shift your gaze all the way to the opposite side, to the right in this case. And hold that until you notice the same thing happen where tension releases, you exhale, you sigh. And then when you're done, you can let go, shake it out a little bit. And you'll notice, like, you might feel a little bit woozy for a second, but then you'll feel present Mm. and you'll feel calm. And for a lot of folks, their heart rate drops a little bit. And what this is doing is it's using the the ocular nerves in your eyes, which are connected into the vagus nerve to reset and rebalance the vagus nerve so that it's not in too much in the ventral vagal, which is the front front side of the vagal nerve and too much in the dorsal vagal. And those both create protective states. And so this takes you out of your protective state. And for you, that looks like procrastination. If you notice you're procrastinating, you can just stop, drop and do this. (laughs) And you'll notice like, oh, well, now it doesn't feel so impossible to make this darn podcast. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I do it too. You know, like I still, I still will do this. And I, I sometimes even forget that this is accessible to me, like even as a teacher of this. So mm-hmm. it's like really powerful to remember, oh yeah, I have the power to basically put myself in a state of social safety. And when we're in a state of social safety, we have more confidence. We also have more motivation. So it gets you into that place without having to like go get some coffee or mm. take snooze or some of the other things that we do to try to like muscle through. This isn't about muscling through. It's just about learning how to show up for yourself. Yeah. I love it too. Cause I, I feel it instantly. Like it's like, Oh, I love it. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on. It was great. <laughs> And how can people find you in your work and your message? I know I'll have it in the show notes as well, um, but where can people find you and learn more about you and take your classes? Because we, I think we just talked about empathology, but you also have other courses too. You have all kinds of yeah. things going on. Empathology is definitely like the foundational set of tools that our clients need to succeed. And then we kind of go from there. So it's a great baseline. So folks can go to empathology.co and get on the waitlist for the next round of that class. And you can also go to empathology.co slash boundary dash scripts, or you can go to my other website and I'll get you a link for that too. <laughs> uh-huh. um, but that'll get you some scripts to help you with your boundaries because okay. they are complicated. Yep. It is hard to know what to say. <clears throat> and there's all kinds of awkward situations we get into with friends and family and kids and clients and this kind of gives you a script for most of the scenarios that you're going to run into where you're like, ah, my husband keeps asking for my time and I like really need to do this thing, but I don't want to say no. So how do I do that? Um, so I'll help you with that. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. If you just go to moonandmanifest.com, mm-hmm. which is my main website, go mm-hmm. to go there slash boundaries and they'll get you there. Okay. And Moon and Manifest will also get you to all your courses too, all right? All my stuff, yeah. my podcast, yeah. like that's where my retreat. Frida is like all of the things that are, that are going on are there. Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again. This was awesome. Thank you for listening. My hope is that this conversation has inspired you with a new awareness and has uncovered some beauty and wisdom within you. If you have enjoyed what you heard today, please feel free to share it with a friend and please subscribe, rate, and review it on your favorite podcast player. 
If you have any questions, comments, or feedback for me, please feel free to reach me at stephanie.brownyard at gmail.com. Talk to you soon.